To begin today's message, I want to ask you, how do you feel about movies that have a twist? So what's your preference? Do you like movies where you're kind of going in one direction and you feel like you know what's going to happen and then all of a sudden it takes a real massive turn, either part of the way through or right at the end there's a sudden twist and you're like, what? I did not see that happening. Do you like those sorts of movies? Or do you prefer a movie where it's like, nope, that ended exactly the way that I expected it was going to, and uh, I was able to go on the journey all the way through, and it finished with a lovely resolution, exactly how I had hoped. I love movies that have a twist, and uh, without giving away any twists of any movies, in case you haven't seen any of these, whether it is uh, The Empire Strikes Back, or whether it's a movie like Sixth Sense, or uh, going way back, a movie like Planet of the Apes, or uh, whether it's a more recent movie like Avengers Infinity War, A movie where everything's just going along, you think you know what's happening, and then all of a sudden something changes, and you're like, did not see that in the slightest. But what I really love is those movies that where that happens, if you then go back and re-watch the movie, you realise it was obvious the whole time. For whatever reason, you're distracted, or the director or the writers have done a really great job of helping you to focus on something else instead of what was going on, or just when you think it through, it's like, well, obviously that's where the plot should have gone. That makes perfect sense. These movies are incredible because there is a sense of being able to look back and say, ah, I should have seen that coming. I should have understood what the end of the story was going to be the whole time. I was just focused on other things. Today we're continuing our Blueprint series where we're making our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians and uh, this letter that Paul wrote to one of the early churches in a Greek city called Thessalonica uh, in AD 51 and we have spent a few weeks already digging into some of the keys that we can identify as a church about what it means for us to be a healthy church family, a beautiful blueprint of what that looks like. So we, the first week, Uh, unpacked a bit of what Paul says is the core of the message about Jesus, faith, love, and hope. That those three things are the core of everything about what it means to understand what Jesus has done and what it means to be able to follow Jesus. The second week, we then spent some time talking about what it looks like for us to share the message of Jesus and that it's really important for us to do that with courage, to do that with authenticity, and to do that with a sense of genuine care. And then last week we talked about how gathering around the message of Jesus is not supposed to be something that we just do on our own. It's not just my personal relationship with God, but we are a part of a church family because we're all in this together. And in particular, we talked about last week how we come together in whatever form that is to be able to be filled up so much with God's love that it spills out of us onto the people around us. So if you've missed any of those messages, you can feel free to go back and look them up on our YouTube channel or listen to them on our podcast uh, so that you can catch up to where we're at. Now today we're going to jump ahead just a little bit and there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is uh, a very simple practical reason is that next week Nathan, our student placement, is going to be uh, bringing us our message which we're very, very excited about so that's going to be awesome. Uh, So part of why I thought I would cover what we're going to cover today is because there's a lot of things we can talk about today that we've already talked about in the past. So rather than me spend a significant amount of time saying to Nathan, you don't need to talk about that because we already did, he can just look at something else completely different. But it also actually makes a lot more sense. When I was putting the series together, it felt like what we would have covered today, the next part, the first part of chapter four, fits far better with what comes in the rest of chapter five at the end of the letter. 
It's almost like Paul starts this thought about what it means to follow Jesus and what that looks like in a practical sense, then goes on this huge sidetrack, which is what we're going to talk about today, and then comes back and talks more about what it means to live and follow Jesus. And so it'll actually make a lot more sense for us to put those two things together back to back uh, next week and the week after. So it does mean with your reading plan, things will get a little bit out of whack, um, but I'm sure you'll be fine. It will all work out okay in the end. So today we are going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13, and then Nathan will pick up verses 1 to 12 next week. So you've got your teaching notes inside of Connect News. You can grab them, jot some things down, and uh, as I said, if you've got your Bible, you can open up to chapter 4, verse 13. As I said, this is a real big sidetrack that Paul seems to go on. So just a bit of a reminder about how this all fits together. Uh, Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy, uh, were driven out of Thessalonica, went to the next city over, Berea, were driven out of there as well um, by the religious leaders who weren't very happy about what they were saying, and they ended up down in Athens. Paul gets very concerned about how the Thessalonians are getting on as people who've just started to follow Jesus. And so he sends Timothy back to check up on them and to see how they're going and to be able to encourage them. Timothy eventually catches up with Paul in a city called Corinth uh, in AD 51, and that's where Paul writes this letter back to the Thessalonians based on what Timothy has said to him. And so it's quite clear, based on what we're going to unpack today, that some of the Thessalonians were quite concerned about this, this question about what happens when Jesus comes back. And there were three questions that were clearly raised that Timothy said, uh, they're really wondering about this, can you address these things when you write to them? If Jesus is coming back, then what happens to the people who've died? Have they missed out on the opportunity to be able to spend eternity with Jesus? Like what happens to the people who've passed away already? If Jesus is coming back, when's it going to happen? Like, have we missed it? When's it going to come? Is it next week? Is it next year? When's it going to happen? And then the third question, if Jesus is coming back, then what are we supposed to do between now and when he does come back? And it's clear that there were three groups of people, and people have done lots of research into this to understand a little bit more about what must have been going on for the Thessalonians, to understand that there were three groups of people who had very specific concerns. So the first group of people attached to the first question were obviously people who'd had someone close to them who'd passed away, and they were genuinely concerned. What if this means that they don't get to end up in eternity with us? Because Jesus hasn't come back yet and they've died. Like, is that it? Do they miss out? So they were grieving that and feeling quite concerned about that. There was a second group of people who were really worried that they'd missed Jesus' return. And so their question about when's Jesus coming back was actually them saying, did we miss it? Because life is pretty rough for us. We've talked a lot about how the Thessalonians were attacked and persecuted, going through really, really hard times. So for a lot of them, they were like, well, that, is that what's supposed to happen after Jesus came back? So he came back and we just missed the boat? Like, when's Jesus coming back? That was the second group of people. Then there was a third group of people who said, well, if Jesus is coming back, why bother working? We should just live it up. We quit our jobs. We can just move on. Like, who cares about all the other things that we normally worry about with life? Let's just enjoy ourselves and not worry about it because I'm sure Jesus is coming back soon. So if the money runs out, it's not going to matter anyway. And so Paul addresses each of those three groups of people, each of those three questions in what we're going to unpack today. But the reality is that for all of us, we wrestle with a lot of these questions too. These are not questions that are unfamiliar to us. I've had conversations with many of you about some of these exact questions. So once again, we're reminded about just how astounding it is 
that something that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to a specific group of people can speak into our context here today. So let's jump into the first question. If Jesus is coming back, what will happen to those who've died? In chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writes, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who've died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring him back with the believers who've died. So Paul makes some really important points here straight away. First of all, he says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And then he also says, we believe that at some point in the future, Jesus is going to come back. And when that happens, we will get to live with him for eternity. We've touched on this a couple of times through this series. This is such an important reminder that the understanding about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done and what Jesus was going to do was not something that was retrofitted by the church to manipulate things hundreds of years later. This is within a generation of Jesus' death and resurrection, less than 20 years after Jesus had died and risen again. And Paul is quite clearly saying, our understanding is that Jesus definitely died, he definitely rose again, and our belief is that Jesus is going to come back. This was a part of the understanding from the church from the very, very beginning. So if anyone ever challenges you and says, oh, no, 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 the Bible, like they just made things up and put things in there to say things that they wanted to believe later, this is a great passage to hold on to. You say, nope, (laughs) was there from the very beginning. But it is a key question then that we wrestle with. So if all that's true, what happens for us when we die? Or what happens to the people that are close to us when they die? So Paul continues in verse 15, he says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now, Paul says some very interesting things here that are lost a little bit in our translation. When Paul talks about dying and rising again, the language that he's using is actually about falling asleep and waking up again. And so what Paul is trying to unpack here uh, as he tries to explain this to the Thessalonians is that death for us is no more harmful or painful than falling asleep. But ultimately, death for us is just like being excited about the fact that we get to have an afternoon nap, which I know some of you, I probably will, this afternoon get to have. Or when we put our head down on the pillow at night, that sense of being able to say, oh, that's a lot of the way that we should approach what death is like. Because, Paul says, rising again is like coming awake again. When you have a really, really good night's sleep and you wake up feeling refreshed, ready to face the day, ready to face a new day, ready to get into things. That's what Paul says rising again is going to be like. So Paul is trying to say, you don't need to worry about those people that they've died and then that's it. They're just asleep and they will be woken up by Jesus when he comes back. And when they do, they will be refreshed and ready to go. So be encouraged about that. 
Now, there is some complexity that kicks in here that does my little brain a lot of damage when I try to think about it. And that is the reality of eternity. So when we think about eternity, we're actually stepping outside of time. So in eternity, there is no yesterday and then today and then tomorrow and then the day after that and a linear way that things unfold. We move out of that into a realm of just time passes into something that doesn't exist the way that we understand it. So there is some complexity here to be able to say it's not linear like we think where it is, okay, well, anyone who passes away falls asleep and then they're asleep until Jesus comes back. Because there's also an understanding that when we pass from this life into the next, that moment is instantaneous because we step outside of time. So there's some complexity there that, as I said, is far too hard for me to be able to understand, but we want to hold that intention to recognise that we can also believe that that waking up process has already happened for people as they step into eternity. And how is all of this going to happen in terms of Jesus' return? We talked about this at length in a Q&A Sunday back in April. So I'm not going to go into that again because I know some of you are still recovering. Because we did a very deep dive talking about all of the different understandings about what the rapture looks like and the different complexities of what the end times are. So I'm not going to cover that again. You can go back and rewatch that if you want to. But this is one of the passages that we referred to there where there's a very specific understanding that Jesus is going to return in a very triumphant way with a big shout and a big trumpet and then we're going to be swept up into the clouds. This is where some of that imagery comes from. But as we talked about, there are other parts of the Bible that talk about it in different ways and we leave it to you to be able to decide which of those you think is going to happen. The most important thing that Paul is trying to say here is something that's actually very caring His focus here is not to try and talk about logistics and specifics, but simply to be able to say, so, because we know, however it's going to happen, that people are going to fall asleep and wake up and we will get to see them again, we don't grieve like people who have no hope. We have a sense of hope. Yes, we grieve because we obviously miss the people who aren't with us anymore, but we don't do that in a way that has no hope attached to it. We do that with a confident expectation that we will get to see them again. We will get to have an amazing, great reunion with all of the people who've passed from this life to the next at some point in the future. And so Paul says, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with the sense of hope that we hold on to. Don't worry about the people who've passed away and certainly don't grieve like people who don't have hope. The message of Jesus is one that is filled with hope. So hold on to that. The next question that Paul then tackles is when is this all going to happen? So chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labour pains begin and there will be no escape. This again is this massive question that has been present throughout the history of the church. When is Jesus coming back? And it's important for us to understand that for the early church, a lot of people would say their expectation was Jesus was coming back within their generation. Jesus was going to come back before they died was what they expected based on a lot of what they wrote and a lot of how they lived. So for them, there was this expectation, Jesus will return before our lives end. 
We wrestle with this question a lot. I know I've had conversations with a number of you over the last 18 months in particular, that with what's going on in our world, with all of the realities with COVID, all the challenges that we're facing, all the stuff that's going on with climate change, the fires that are raging across Europe at the moment, the conflict between different countries, it's questions that it raises for us. Is this the beginning of the end? Because it feels like the world is a mess. But I'm always really quick to then stop and think back through all of the other times in history where people probably felt the same way. The fall of the temple in AD 70, 20 years after all of this is going on, would have 100% felt like for the early church, this is the beginning of the end. The destruction of the temple was a clear sign, surely, that the end is nigh. When we think about all of the massive things that have happened in our world, massive earthquakes. Last night, there's another massive earthquake in Haiti. Volcanoes that have exploded at different times. Health challenges that we've faced as a world. The Black Plague, 100 years ago, thinking about the Spanish flu. This is not the first time that we've encountered some of these challenges. And that's just the stuff that we know about. As I was doing a bit of reading about that this week, I discovered that in 1931, there was a massive flood in China that wiped out between one and four million people. And I had never, ever heard about that. Now, this is part of the challenge for us, that we live in a world where as soon as something happens anywhere in the world, we know about it instantly. If there was a flood in China that wiped out between one and four million people today, we would definitely know about it. But in 1931, most people didn't know that something tragic like that happened. We think about World War I. We think about World War II. There's so many times throughout history where we would say everything has fallen apart. Clearly, this is the sign that Jesus is coming back. And so we try to work it out. And for a lot of us, that's because we just feel tired or we feel frustrated or we feel anxious, worrying about what's going on. Is this just going to get worse and worse? And kind of we hope Jesus will come back soon. The Thessalonians were processing exactly the same question because of the persecution they were facing and the suffering that they were going through. They're like, is Jesus coming back soon? Because I really hope that he is. I don't know how much longer I can keep going. So Paul's response to this is very interesting. He says, we don't really need to write to you about this. You know quite well. The tone that Paul's using here is kind of a bit like a parent who says to a child, we've been over this, we've talked about this before, I've told you what you need to understand about this. But he reminds them, it will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labour pains begin. This again we recognise as part of the early church, part of the teaching that Jesus gave us. That in Mark chapter 13, Jesus himself said, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. Jesus says, I don't even know when I'm coming back. So none of us are going to be able to work that out in any way. What we do know is that Jesus is going to return at some point in the future. We don't know how. We don't know how the story is going to end. We don't know exactly what that looks like and we don't know when. We just know it is going to happen. So what do we do? We hold on to hope. We come back to hope again to say we don't know any of the details. but We do know at some point we will get to spend eternity with Jesus. So we hold on to that. 
And that then obviously translates into the next question. So what do we do between now and then? And that's what Paul then addresses with them. He says in verse 4, But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armour of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Paul says even though we don't know when it's going to happen, whenever it happens, it's not going to catch us by surprise. We are children of the light, children of the day, not children of darkness, not children of the night. And it's a very obvious contrast. The difference between walking around in the daylight compared to walking around when all the lights are off, you bump into things. You don't know where you're going compared to being able to see clearly what you need to do and where you need to go. Be on guard. Don't be asleep. Stay alert and clear-headed, not asleep and drunk. When someone is drunk, they're out of control. They don't know what they're doing. They make really, really poor decisions. And so Paul contrasts all of that to say that's not what we're like. We know how the story ends, and so we make choices about how we live in the here and now. He says, put on the armour of faith and love, the helmet of confidence in our salvation, which is really the helmet of hope. Once again, coming back to those three key things, faith, love, and hope. Paul says, put those things on, get up, and go and live the way that you know that Jesus wants you to live. Be alert, be awake, focus on what God is doing, focus on the opportunities that you've got to partner with him right now. And so one of the ways that I have often talked about this is to say, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, if the purpose of today's message was for me to be able to say, breaking news, Jesus is coming back tomorrow, I've got it on very good authority, I know it's definitely going to happen, and you would say, well, if that's the case, I'd better do this, or I'd better stop doing this, then the advice that Paul gives is just do that anyway, regardless of whether you know whether Jesus is coming back tomorrow or next week or not for another thousand years. Live as someone who lives in the light. So if there's a change that you know God's calling you to make in your life, make that change. If there's something that God's calling you to stop doing in your life, stop doing it. If there's someone who you would say, if I knew Jesus was coming back, I would definitely go and talk to that person about Jesus and the hope that we have then go and have that conversation with them. Don't wait. Just go ahead and live the way that you know that God is calling you to live. And Paul then finishes with some more words of hope and encouragement. In verse 9 he says, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. Paul finishes by saying, just remember, God has chosen to save, to rescue us because of Jesus. It's not because we got our act together enough. It's not because we proved ourselves worthy. It's just because of his incredible love for us. End of story. That's why Jesus has died for you, so that you can hold on to that sense of hope of what the future is going to be like. And whether we're dead or alive, when Jesus returns, we know where we're going to end up. So encourage and build each other up. 
share the hope that we have in Jesus. Encourage each other with hope about the reality of what Jesus is doing now and what Jesus is going to do in the future. Live the way that Jesus wants you to live as someone who is alert and awake right now, not waiting for his return. So I want to give us an opportunity to reflect on what that looks like for us as we head into this week. Practically speaking, what does that mean for you? And particularly, I want to ask you to think about who needs to hear about the hope of Jesus. That is so core and central to the message of Jesus. So who needs to hear the hope of Jesus? And you might like to think about those three groups of people that were present as a part of the Thessalonian church. You might know someone who is really struggling with grief either because of someone who's passed away recently or someone who's passed away a long time ago. And it might be helpful for you to take some time to be able to share with them this week the message of hope, a reminder of hope. As people who follow Jesus, we don't grieve as people who have no hope. We hold on to that sense of hope that we know there is a reunion coming. So maybe there's someone in your life who could be encouraged by hearing those words. You might also be aware of someone who's really struggling with anxiety and fear about the way that the world is right now and in the process of that wrestling with what it means for Jesus' return. Once again, what does it look like to be able to come alongside of them and say, we don't know the answers to that. It's not healthy for us to spend a lot of emotional energy talking about that and focusing on it. But what we can do is hold on to the hope that we know at some point all of this bad stuff that's going on is going to come to an end. This isn't what eternity will be like, and so we hold on to hope. Who could be encouraged by hearing that message this week? And for others of us, it could be about someone who just needs to be reminded about what to do between now and when Jesus comes back and the way that he's calling us to live. To say, don't act as if you're asleep. Don't act as if the lights are off. You know what Jesus is calling you to do. Look around. See what God's up to. See the opportunities to be able to partner with him. What does it mean to live as a person of hope, as a person of encouragement, as a person of light as we head into this week? Some of you, that might be you that's that person, that you need to hear that message of hope. But for many of us, we've got other people that we're connected with, friends at school, at uni, people who are part of our extended family, people in our workplaces, people who live on our streets. Is there someone that comes to mind for you who could benefit from hearing the message of hope this week. Write their name down on a piece of paper. Commit to praying this week to say, Jesus, give me an opportunity to share the hope that I have in you with them. And then have your eyes open. See what God opens up for you. So take some time to reflect and then we'll come back and pray and gather around the communion table.
Jesus, we're so grateful that at the core of who you are and the core of your message is hope. Even though there are so many questions that we have, even though there are so many things that we don't know, we know enough to be able to hold on to a sense of hope. And we thank you that that means that when we go through difficult times, whether that is because we're grieving because of the loss of someone, whether that's because of the challenges that we're facing in our world, because of things that are making us feel anxious or fearful, that we can hold on to hope in those moments, to know that this is not the end of the story, that a day is going to come when we will get to wake up with you and with all of those who have passed away in that great reunion where we'll have the opportunity to experience life the way that, God, you created us to live, what your desire has always been for us, that a day will come where we will get to live that way for eternity. And so we have a sense of anticipation about what that looks like. But as we step into this week, my prayer is that you would fill us again with your hope, that particularly for those of us who are going through challenging circumstances right now, you would give us a sense of hope that this is not the end of the story, that there is more yet to be revealed. And I pray that as we head into this week, you would give us an ability to be able to see with your eyes and your ears, to hear with your ears, the people around us who desperately need to encounter hope. We know that there are so many people around us who are struggling, struggling just to get through day to day and who desperately need a sense of hope to pull them out of the circumstances that they're in. We thank you that you trust us enough to be your message bearers, to be the ones who have the privilege of being able to share that message of hope. And so I pray that as we move into this week, you would help us to have our eyes and ears open to see and hear the opportunities that you give us to share with those who most desperately need to hear your message of hope. In your name we pray. Amen.